Sportsnet Today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. All right, let's get it going. It's a Monday afternoon. Welcome to Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Logan Gordon along with you for the next 60 minutes or so before we head to Jay's Plus with Blake Murphy at 1 o'clock. The Eric Francis Show at 2 o'clock. A jammed program with Eric Linder this afternoon, including Calgary Flames forward Milan Lucic at 2.30. And then Flames Talk from 3 till 5 with the one and only Pat Steinberg ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays. Good Monday afternoon. This is Sportsnet Today. Lots to get to from a busy weekend in the world of sports. Been our first NFL Sunday yesterday. We'll dive into some of the more entertaining and not so entertaining finishes from the Sunday that was in the NFL. Let's take a look ahead to the Monday Nighter tonight. That'll cap off week one. Russell Wilson makes his return to Seattle. be interesting to see how he is uh, responded to by the Seattle faithful. Plus some hockey news to get to, and that's where we'll start here on Sportsnet today. A quick reminder that the fan feedback line is always open to you at 960-960. Starting with some Calgary Flames-related pieces of news from over the weekend. Last night, Cap Friendly and Elliot Friedman reported that the Calgary Flames have made the first addition to their training camp roster, signing veteran forward Cody Eakin to a PTO. He will join the club for training camp. He was an unrestricted free agent who played the last two seasons with the Buffalo Sabres. Now at 31 years old, Eakin previously suiting up for the Jets, Golden Knights, Stars, and Capitals, who drafted him 85th excuse me, overall back in 2009. Mostly a depth center throughout his career, he won 55.4% of his face-offs over the last two seasons with Buffalo. He is from Winnipeg. He collected four goals and eight assists, averaging just over 13 and a half minutes of ice time across 69 games in 2021-2022. Probably not the news Flames fans were expecting this weekend, but perhaps a piece of news today that explains why the Flames went down this road as the main target left in free agency that a lot of us have focused on, especially for the Calgary Flames, and we heard from various insiders that the Flames were involved with this person. Evan Rodriguez has signed. Uh, it's a one-year deal with the Colorado Avalanche. One year, $2 million for Rodriguez with the defending Stanley Cup champions. And, you know, you put the puzzle pieces together and think it out a bit more. You think, okay, Flames inviting Eakin last night. Maybe they got wind from Rodriguez's camp that, hey, Look, we're going to get this done with Colorado if you guys need to go in a different direction as far as PTOs or other options in free agency. Now is a good time to go ahead and do that. 
Uh, hard to blame. Rodriguez joins an obviously very talented team in Colorado on a show me deal. A potential to play up in a lineup in Colorado could add to what was already a career best year for Rodriguez last year. And perhaps cash in on free agency a year from now while still remaining on a contending team. So as we'll talk about later, and I'm sure Pat will mention in Flames Talk, a lot of the names you've heard us mention over the last number of weeks for the Calgary Flames when it comes to free agent possibilities continue to be stricken off the board. Uh, Paul Stastny is a name that I've brought up. We've talked about Phil Kessel. Evan Rodriguez has been on the list for a very long time for this team. Now the list of remaining UFAs in hockey is slim to none. With, with all due respect to what's out there, I'm not sure how many guys, maybe outside of Sonny Milano at this point, will earn themselves an actual guaranteed contract ahead of training camps opening up in two to three weeks. Are the Flames still interested in a guy like like Sonny Milano? Perhaps. Maybe that's where their, their focus shifts. I thought Rodriguez would have been a fantastic fit here. A guy that can move up and down the lineup. But it doesn't work out, and the Flames will pivot. So what about Cody Eakin exactly makes this intriguing? Well, the analytics community does not think highly of Cody Eakin. Uh, minimal offensive production. Does not drive play overly well. Some okay underlying numbers when it comes to defense, but it's a curious, it's a curious PTO to give out. Now, again, it is a PTO. There's absolutely no reason to be up in arms about something that hasn't happened yet. It's simply an invitation to training camp. I imagine Eakin will get into a number of preseason games with the Flames and try his best to make the team. I just look at this Flames roster and wonder how many guys similar to Cody Eakin are already on the roster or perhaps better. The two names that specifically come to mind for me are Kevin Rooney, who just signed a two-year deal as free agency opened with the Flames, and Trevor Lewis, who... Yes, maybe not the best play driver offensively at this time in his career, but his defensive numbers were astute. He's familiar with the head coach in Daryl Sutter and I think was an underrated piece of the Flames' penalty kill last year. I'm not sure where Eakin fits in all of this. Um, a guy that's above 50% on the faceoff dot is intriguing for you know defensive reasons, but outside of perhaps being a 13th forward that rotates in and out of your lineup on the surface, I don't see where Cody Eakin fits. The fourth line right now seems very wound up and, and packed up right now with Lucci, Rooney, and Lewis. Perhaps he's a veteran option. And hey, worst, worst case scenario, he comes in, he's competitive at training camp and the flames move on from him saying, Hey, Thanks, but no thanks. Didn't work out. And again, even if he does earn a spot in training camp, most guys on PTOs coming in, one-year deal, league minimum salary, if that, if, he, if he's able to earn a spot. So, yeah, interesting. But 
after the end of the day, anything to get up in arms about? No. If you wanted to be more disappointed that the Flames perhaps missed out on Rodriguez, okay, I'm here for that conversation. But as far as the, the Cody Eakin news is concerned, probably much to do about nothing. We'll wait and see. But, of course, uh, the Flames, one of those teams that regularly invites veterans to training camp. On a number of occasions, we've seen those veterans turn into usable pieces for the Calgary Flames. Is this one of those scenarios? I don't know. Uh, your thoughts are uh, always available to you uh, to uh, get to us here on the fan feedback line, 960-960. Can Cody Eakin... Scratch out a spot with the Calgary Flames. Do the Flames need Cody Eakin to scratch out a spot? Is this simply a case of uh, the general manager looking to create internal competition? Guys to beat out if you're an Adam Rzichka of the world or a Jacob Pelche of the world. Again, PTO, nothing to get your arms up about, nothing to get frustrated about. It's just probably the lesser impact signing that you were hoping for if you're a Flames fan. If you're a Flames fan, you're hoping Rodriguez signs on the dotted line, probably penciled in on a spot somewhere in the top nine of the Calgary Flames come training camp, and you don't really need to have the conversation about PTOs. Doesn't happen. Rodriguez is now a member of the Colorado Avalanche, and uh, the Flames will go in another direction, whether that means another free agent more PTOs, a young guy like Jacob Pelche, like me and Pat talked about on Flames Talk last week. That's still to be determined. But that's the latest across the NHL and when it comes to Flames-related topics. The only other news, this coming from Montreal today, Nick Suzuki has been named the 31st captain in Montreal Canadiens history. Montreal uh, hosting their uh, golf tournament. Today, the Cavs are uh, almost, if not their entire roster in attendance. They make the decision to go with Suzuki, naming Brendan Gallagher and Joel Edmondson as his alternate captains. He is just 23 years old, the youngest captain in Montreal Canadiens history. He takes over, of course, from Shea Weber, who wore the C in Montreal for four years, but missed all of last season due to injuries. Weber was dealt to the Vegas Golden Knights this offseason. Here is Nick Suzuki at that uh, golf tournament today after being named Habs captain. Uh, talks a bit about uh, his initial thoughts on being named captain. Takes a couple questions from the media as well uh, on the honor bestowed to him as the next captain of the Habs. Uh, it's a true honor for me and a privilege and uh, this team's headed in a great direction and uh, couldn't be more excited to be the captain and represent the team. Uh, it, it means a lot um, just to see the respect that the management, uh, teammates, coaches uh, have for me. Uh, I know it's a big role, but I think I'm ready for it. And uh, There's a bright future here, and I'm excited to be a part of it. When and how did you find out that uh, I was talking to Marty probably around the draft. Just uh, He asked me just to take some time and think about it, think if I was ready, so uh, I probably took what it was a month, two months, uh, to think about it and uh, felt like I was ready and uh, had a meeting with uh, Kent, Jeff, and Jeff Molson uh, the other day and 
I uh, told them I was ready to do it, and uh, that's kind of how it all ended up. What do you think makes a good captain? Um, someone that just comes to work every day, uh, leads by example is the biggest thing. Uh, that's what I've always done uh, as a kid and turning pro, just lead by example every day, uh, speak up at the right moments, uh, just be calm uh, and collected in your thoughts. And uh, I think I've got to learn from a lot of great leaders so far and uh, just going to take that with me. That's new Habs captain Nick Suzuki speaking to the media at the Montreal Canadiens golf tournament today after being named the 31st captain in Montreal Canadiens history. Uh, here is one of his assistant captains, Brendan Gallagher. Uh, man, many thought would be next in line for that captaincy in Montreal, but uh, gets passed over for the younger Suzuki. Uh, but he is going to be one of his running mates wearing an A in Montreal. It's nothing new to Brendan Gallagher, something he's done for many years. Uh, he says, look, he and Joel Edmondson, the other assistant captain, uh, ready to help Suzuki however he needs, and they're ready to follow him as their new captain. He's the heartbeat of our team. He's our leader. We're happy to follow him. And uh, any way that, that me and Ed can make it easier on him, we're, we're going to be there to, to support him along the way. We understand, um, you know, he's... He's younger. It might be a little bit different for him, but he's he's fully ready for this opportunity. I think he's comfortable. He's he's uh, you know most importantly, like I said, he's got the support of our entire locker room. We're happy to follow him, and we know how uh, how strong of a leader he is. Uh, Suzuki, you might remember signing a massive eight-year contract extension with Montreal that is set to kick in this coming season. That was an eight-year, sixty-three million dollar uh, deal. He has established himself as the new number one in Montreal. 149 points, 203 career games. He's an all-rookie team member during his debut season with the Habs back in 2018-2019. That now leaves six NHL teams without a captain. The Buffalo Sabres, the Anaheim Ducks, Arizona Coyotes, Philadelphia Flyers, Seattle Kraken, and, of course, your Calgary Flames. Um... We've, we've done the captain's talk. I think every time that one gets appointed across the league, the question remains here in Calgary. Uh, I, I like how one texter put it last week, and then it's all we'll save because we've talked about the captaincy here in Calgary. I, I like how a texter put it last week on the fan feedback line. There are a lot of candidates right now, but nobody that stands out above the crowd. When somebody does that then they should be the captain. And I kind of agree with that. I think that's actually a perfect way of putting it. You have a lot of guys that fill the role right now of leadership in that locker room. I think the new guys are going to do that. I think Huberto's wore an A uh, throughout his career at different times with the Florida Panthers. Nazem Kadri wore an A in Colorado and in other stops during his NHL tenure. I think they're going to bring leadership. I also think there's a, a strong leadership group here now assembled by a couple of different players. Tanev and Markstrom, when they came over from Vancouver, helped change the culture here. Michael Backlund has been a longtime assistant captain. He fits a leadership role. I think Blake Coleman fits a leadership role here in Calgary. Uh, Pat's brought up the name Elias Lindholm. So I think you've got a lot of good leaders right now. And we've talked about how Daryl Sutter's a leader in that locker room. So when somebody stands out above the crowd, like a, a Mark Giordano did, like a Jerome McGinley did back in the in the years, 
then I think it's the right time to name a captain. I don't think the Flames are devoid of anything because they're one of six franchises that don't have a captain. It is interesting that in the hierarchy of things, when you look at those six teams that were listed that don't have a captain, the Flames are really the only one in, I'll say playoff contender status that don't have one. Sabres, Ducks, Coyotes, Flyers, Kraken, all sort of rebuilding or on the fringe teams that are sort of looking for their next superstar. I never understood the Seattle uh, Giordano thing. That one was kind of weird to me. Um, maybe it helped with jersey sales, but I thought Mark was always destined to be a trade deadline piece for them. So why they they named him captain for half a season, I don't know, but that's their choice. Uh, do the Flames name a captain? I have no idea. Do they need to name a captain? I, I know based on last year, I don't think they need to. So we'll see. Uh, Suzuki, as I mentioned, 23 years old, youngest captain in Montreal Canadiens history. Uh, switch things over to football. We'll talk some CFL football next segment. We'll have a live edition of the Stamps Report with Matty Rose. Huge win for the Calgary Stampeders Saturday night in Edmonton. Now a very, very important home-and-home home series with the BC Lions coming up. So we'll talk some CFL football next segment. Uh, but wanted to touch on NFL season uh, kickoff uh, yesterday, the first Sunday of the season after we got things going on Thursday night football with the Rams and the Bills. Yesterday did not disappoint. Whether you watch for betting purposes, fantasy football purposes, or just entertainment purpose, there was a lot to get to yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about the Monday Nighter in just a bit. We'll talk about the Sunday Nighter. But let's go through some of the games yesterday that had some fantastic finishes including a game from the morning slate here in Calgary that I don't know if anyone wanted to win, but man, the Bengals and the Steelers go back and forth. Bengals lose their long snapper. They go to one of their backup tight ends to do the long snapping. It just sort of throws things off. They can't get it right. They have a couple of chances with Evan McPherson. He can't finish off the Steelers. We go back and forth in overtime. And finally, Chris Boswell ends it for the Steelers. Snap, placement, kick all the way. Boswell, that's a winner! Unforgettable season opener! Yes, it was. Uh, that call courtesy of CBS. 23-20, uh, your final. The Steelers, with Mitch Trubisky getting the start, down the Super Bowl runners-up in Week 1, the Cincinnati Bengals, not a banner night for Joe Burrow, four interceptions, couple of fumbles, 53 pass attempts on the day, 338 yards, but you'll remember those four interceptions, finishes with just a 61.7 quarterback rating. Not sure many people had Trubisky putting up the more efficient day than Joe Burrow in week one, but that's what happened. Jamar Chase picking up where he left off last year. 10 receptions, 16 targets, 129 yards, and a touchdown late that helped send this game to overtime. Bad news for the Steelers off of this one. 
TJ Watt was the uh, talk late in the fourth quarter. Cameras caught him going off holding his shoulder area, I guess. And you could pretty clearly see him mouthing to trainers and to his teammates. I, I tore my pack. That's not great. One of the best pass rushers in the league who just got paid, by the way, by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, looks like he's going to miss significant time. That's not good. Najee Harris did not finish the game for the Steelers. He didn't come out for overtime. Doesn't sound like that's as serious an injury for the Steelers running back, but still worried when you heard that he had that Liss Frank injury going back to preseason. We'll keep an eye on that, and as we get more notice uh, and more injury updates across the NFL, of course, we'll bring them to you here on Sportsnet 960. Bengals-Steelers, not the only game that uh, had a field goal decided. That was just one of many on an opening night uh, Sunday across the NFL. This time, we'll take you to the Saints and the Falcons. A long field goal attempt by the Falcons to win it late and try to prevent a full-on New Orleans comeback victory. From the left hash, Falcons trailing by one. Who, from 63 yards out, it was blocked. And the Saints win the season opener in dramatic, come-from-behind fashion. 17 points in the fourth quarter including two touchdowns from Michael Thomas. And then that blocked field goal that you heard right there. Now, would Koo have hit it from 63? I don't know. Maybe. Anything's possible. Some great kickers, despite what happened yesterday across the NFL. There are some great kickers. Uh, would he have hit it from 63? I don't know. But if he did, they would have won the game. Saints instead come in to Atlanta and take the week one uh, decision, 27-26. We're not done there, though, talking about field goals. Baker Mayfield trying to get some revenge against the Browns, the team that once drafted him first overall, but it was the Browns kicker who spoiled that party for Baker. York to try to win the game. The kick. Oh, look at this. in distance, and Cade York wins it for Cleveland. 26-24, 26-24, your final. Baker Mayfield, 16 of 27, 235 yards, one touchdown pass, one interception, and a rushing touchdown as he loses to his former team. 26-24, the final. Jacoby Brissett, not stunning uh, by any means for the Browns, but he gets the job done. 18 of 34, 147, and one touchdown pass in the victory. couple other games to get to quickly. How about the New York Giants? Late in this one, down in uh, an attempt to come back against the Tennessee Titans, they get a late touchdown, and they go for two instead of the single to tie it late. Give it to Saquon Barkley, who looks like he is back from injury. Shovel. Barkley breaks a tackle. Dives in for two. Giants take the lead, 21-20, with 106 to play in the fourth. Brian Dowell going for it in his first game as the Giants head coach, 21-20, the final. Saquon Barkley runs all over 
the Tennessee Titans. 18 carries, 164 yards, one touchdown, and that two-point conversion that you just heard there. Uh, look, the go for the single. You tie it up late. Still a minute six left on the clock when that two-pointer is good. Gives them the one-point edge. Tennessee with plenty of time to go down and kick a field goal, but the Giants hold on late for the stunning upset on night one. Giants 21, Titans 20. Sunday nighter, we thought this might be a good one. How about the Bucks and the Cowboys? Tom Brady undefeated against the Dallas Cowboys in his career. Sunday nighter expected to be an exciting one. It was more of a snooze fest. Here's at least one highlight from a rather pedestrian edition of Sunday Night Football. First and goal for the five, Brady Evans. Did he catch it? Yes, sir. Touchdown. Hard to beat in the air. Mike Evans. Yeah, Mike Evans with the uh, lone touchdown reception last night. Buccaneers 19, Cowboys 3. That touchdown came in the third quarter. That was the only scoring in the second half. This one not sharp by either team. Tom Brady, 18 of 27, 212 yards. But the disappointment for the Dallas Cowboys, their offense looks listless. No Amari Cooper, no Michael Gallup. Just CeeDee Lamb out there as far as threats go in the receiving core. Dak Prescott goes 14 of 29, 134 yards passing, no touchdowns, and one interception. He would leave the game after having a pass deflected late in the second half. Uh, Goes off for x-rays. Cooper Rush comes in, takes over for the remainder of the game. He can't get anything going. And it's uh, worst-case scenario for the Dallas Cowboys. Your offense was already putrid in week one, and you're now going to be without your starting quarterback for the next six to eight weeks. Dak Prescott going to need thumb surgery, which is apparently going to be happening today. Uh, He has injured a joint in his thumb that requires surgery. He's going to need a small plate and a couple of pins to help fix it. Six to eight weeks for the Cowboys uh, quarterback wasn't able to muster anything against a very good Buccaneers defense in week one. Still one game to go tonight. It's going to be a good one. The Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks to end things off on Monday Night Football. It is, of course, the return of Russell Wilson to Seattle, the team that uh, he quarterbacked for many years, including a championship there. Uh, He spoke about returning to Seattle and what it means for him to play a game there. Uh, you know, I, I think first of all, um, you know, my experience in Seattle was uh, one of a kind. You know, ten, ten years. I, I couldn't imagine those, you know, those years not being in my life. And how special they were, and how many games we won, and how many amazing thrillers, and just uh, you know, Super Bowl we won, and everything else. So uh, I'm gonna think about all those memories and everything else, and the joy of that, and the gratitude of that. And then also, uh, we got a football game to play, so I'm excited to just get out there and play again. I, you know, I love this game. Um, I'm passionate about it and uh, got a lot of great teammates. There's a lot of guys that I'm super close with on the other side. So it'll be a great battle. Do you care how you receive? Uh, you no, know, I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, after 10 years of trying to make a difference there and, you know, winning, all the, you know, winning a lot of football games and all of us doing it together, I think that was really special. And I think also, too, you know, Seattle will always, uh, you know, mean mean the world to me, you know. It's, it's always forever be home for me. It'll always be a special place in my heart, obviously. And so, um, 
you know, and, and like I said, I have some amazing teammates there. You know, the thing I think about, you know, everybody talks about the games and <coughs> all that stuff and, you know, everything. Um, but the thing that really mattered to me most was just, you know, bringing my daughter back home to, you know, Seattle, bringing a little future, bringing, bringing Wynn when, you know, when he was first born and just those moments, those memories, you know, the, the Seattle children's kids that you meet, you know, uh, our, our kids are at our school, why not you academy? That's what life's about. And people are going to love you, they're going to hate you sometimes, whatever it may be. But, you know, um, I know that uh, for me, I'll, I'll forever have love in my heart for Seattle. That's current Denver Broncos quarterback and former Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson ahead of tonight's Monday night matchup in Seattle against the Seahawks. On the other side of things, his replacement will be Geno Smith. He won the starting quarterback battle over former Broncos quarterback Drew Locke in the preseason and will get the start. Uh, We'll see. He hasn't started a season as the team's starting quarterback since 2014 when he did so with the New York Jets. So we'll see. Uh, if Seattle has a positive response for Russell Wilson, will they remember the good times and the Super Bowl championship, or will they simply remember how it ends? We'll find out tonight. Kickoff just after 6:20 between the Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks. That'll do it for segment one here on Sportsnet today. We'll come back on the other side after a quick break to thing, uh, turn things over uh, north of the border. Chatted some NFL segment one. Let's chat some CFL. Segment two, a huge win for the Calgary Stampeders Saturday night at Commonwealth Stadium against the Elks. They took care of business there and now have put themselves in a very, very interesting spot with two games coming up against the BC Lions. To break it all down for us, we'll go to our Stampeders insider, Matt Rose. He joins the program next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. tough game and I knew we were going to have to expend a lot of energy to get that win. I had faith that the guys were ready to play, um, but it was I thought it was a bit sloppy early. Um, you know, we did get the pick six and then we blocked the punt and basically scored there, really helping us get that momentum, getting that lead and and, it, and even in the second half we made a lot of big plays, but I think there's a lot of plays that we left out there and, and uh, you know, as a team, I know we're happy, but we'll have to be better next week and ultimately just try to improve, but uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a tough game. I knew that Human nature takes over when you beat a team a few times uh, in a row, and you got to make sure you show up with that same energy and basically make sure you put everything out there. The Stampeders certainly showed up with that energy uh, Saturday night when they beat the Edmonton Elks 56-28 to to sweep away the season series and finish off the Labor Day rematch with a victory. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. I'm Logan Gordon along with you and to chat some Stampeders football. Looking back on their uh, victory over the Elks and taking a peek forward at the remainder of their schedule, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in from the big show in the morning and our Stampeders insider, it is Matty Rose. Matty, happy Monday, pal. How are you? Hey, what's going on? Not much, pal. Uh, 56-28, a pretty handed... uh, you know, dismissal of the Elks Saturday night in the Labor Day rematch for the Stamps. Yeah, I love what Dave Dickinson says in that clip. You know, we left some plays out there, and we put up 56 <laughs> points, but we left some plays out there. What would it have been um, like if you made the plays, Dave? Yeah, I know, and and it, it was a game that I think the Stampeders had to have in that sense, especially with the Labor Day Classic. Like, you got the win, yes, but I think a lot of people had expected a little bit more of a resounding victory. It was kind of 
in the balance for a lot longer than people would have liked. So in the end, they get this big win off the road. It ends up being uh, the Tommy Stevens show to a certain extent. And the defense played well, like you heard in the clip there. The pick six is big. The blocked punt is almost immediate points. When you've got Tommy Stevens doing what he's doing in short yardage this year, it's a pretty good uh, game for the Calgary Stampeders. And now you can close the book on the Elks and look towards uh, some of these teams that you're actually going to have to deal with in the postseason. One of the things we talked about heading into this game was the Stampeders wanting to get off to a better start uh, in the first half than they did against uh, the Elks on Labor Day. Uh, Tremaine Washington certainly set things up nicely with that pick six, but the offense also seemed to be ready to go from the start as well on Saturday. Yeah, the pick six was big. Um, That play in itself is just, you know, they highlighted on the broadcast. It's just great awareness from a veteran in Washington who, realizes they've got six in the box against five defending for the Elks. That's a clear mismatch. Cam Judge goes unblocked at Taylor Cornelius and is able to kind of tee off. Cornelius rushes a throw, and and Washington baits him perfectly, something he had done at Commonwealth Stadium quite a bit last year. Um, Granted, not in any wins, but Washington did have five interceptions with the Elks last season, and, and I thought that was pretty cool for him to see. Then the offense got going, you know, once you got that nice lead on this Elks team, you know, following the pick six and then the, the touchdown after the block punt, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, especially when Kadeem Carey is healthy and doing what he's able to do and Reggie Bagleton is very much in the same vein. So anytime that you've got those two guys going and Jake Mayer basically just making sure that he took care of the ball at that point out, feel pretty good about your chances and, and in the end the offense really got it done for him yeah let's let's talk about Jake he hasn't exactly put up gaudy numbers by any by any means Matt but he seems to be managing the game in a way that makes the Stampeders play pretty successful football he seems to avoid a lot of those quick two and outs go on drives you know make a key conversion here or there like I said it won't stun you with numbers it's just 287 passing but he's 20 of 26 he gets the touchdown when he needs it it's just been a very efficient effort I would say from Jake Mayer so far yeah very much so um listen we've seen that he's got a little bit of uh, a connection with guys like Malik Henry um who is someone that has definite deep threat potential but right now it's a lot of just putting the ball in Reggie Bagleton's hands and letting the guy go to work and giving the ball to Kadeem Carey and letting him go to work in the same vein. Like when you've got an offense that's working like this, and he's not throwing interceptions. He's getting up to 300 yards passing, but not quite getting there. You feel good about it, especially with how things went with Bully by Mitchell, where ball security ended up being a little bit of an issue for that, for, uh, for Bo. So for them to switch it up, it's working for Jake right now. He's being efficient. He's getting close to 300 yards, and that's really all that you can ask. Letting the playmakers do the work. Speaking of those playmakers, one guy he's had a rapport with seemingly since uh, he took over as a starting quarterback has been Malik Henry. He has another seven receptions for 98 yards and the touchdown. But the guy I wanted to focus on more than anything, Matt, has been Reggie Bagleton and how important he's been the last couple of weeks for this team and how important he's going to be for the group going forward now that Kamar Jordan's on the sixth game. Yeah, exactly. So Kamar Jordan probably done for the regular season. Uh, Danny Austin you know, telling us on the morning show today that it's a, a stress fracture. 
uh, in that thigh for Kamar Jordan. So that's really not great news. We'll see what happens moving forward. But Reggie Bagleton's kind of been like Reggie of old the last few weeks. And I think that the real only difference to me is he's getting the ball and getting an opportunity to make stuff happen with his legs. So he's getting it in bubble screens. The Stampede's receivers are quite good blockers. So whenever that happens and he's able to knife up the field, one of the things I love about Reggie in those situations is he always tries to kind of drift towards the middle of the field rather towards the sideline. I find usually you take a little bit more of a wallop, but you'll also usually end up with a few more yards, and, and Reggie's really good in that sense. So he's been outstanding as far as just kind of getting the ball, putting his head down. I think he's a lot stronger than people give him credit for and really hard to bring down in that sense. He's not one of those guys that you want to you know, hit him like it, it, while he's running. You don't want to throw the ball behind him because then he has to stop and lose momentum, and that's where he gets a lot of his power from. But if Jake can find Reggie in stride or get him in these little screens where he can get his first or second block and kind of accelerate to top speed, that's when he's just most dangerous. And, and it's the yards after the catch, and that's what he's getting right now. He's getting the ball in opportunities where he can go out and make a play. I know we talked about him last week, but, uh, I mean, it was just another sterling performance from Kadeem Carey. I mean, he only gets nine carries, Matt, but he goes for 118 yards and a touchdown and now holds the uh, CFL's rushing lead all by himself. He's also leading the league in uh, touchdowns by a running back. There's a couple of quarterbacks, including uh, Tommy Stevens, who I think is going to be on his tail sooner than later uh, for rushing touchdowns that are ahead of him. But as far as running backs go, uh, it's been the Kadeem Carey show. Uh, what did you think of him on Saturday? I mean, a, a ridiculous average of 13.1 yards a carry. Yeah, man, he's he's kind of the missing piece to this offense. Like, when he was hurt and it was Dedrick Mills and Peyton Logan, like, both those guys filled in admirably. But there's just something the way that Kadeem runs that he almost runs like, well, you know, like with, with no respect for himself because he'll just go right up the middle um, running right over linebackers, spinning up for extra yards, always kind of getting wrapped up around the ankles, but still chugging those engines and trying to get an extra yard or two, even if it's just first down. And and that's what you want to see from a guy. He's he's competitive. He wants to win. He's a huge team-oriented guy. And now he's getting the numbers. And I don't think anybody should be surprised. He's one of those guys that in open space, he can make a guy miss. He's not the fastest guy out there but he's got speed that you certainly have to be worried about and the Stampeders have a ton of trust in them which is something that over the years Stampeders didn't always have a ton of trust in their run game like they had running backs that we thought could do the job but things had just never really worked out and right now I think that the offensive line is blocking extremely well and probably going to get a boost in Sean McEwen this week to face BC and on when you've got an offensive line that's blocking well and an offensive line that also enjoys run blocking, that sets you up pretty well. So Kadeem carries is outstanding so far, and, and right now he's probably um, the MVP of the offense for the Calgary Stampeders. Let's talk about the situation the Stampeders now find themselves in, Matt, thanks to these back-to-back wins over the Edmonton Elks. They've now given themselves some breathing room between them and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who currently sit fourth in the West Division. But they've now, interestingly enough, tied themselves up with the BC Lions, uh, both with eight wins on the season. The uh, Stampeders still with a bye week before the season ends. But now 
Uh, we shift from a home-and-home with the Elks to a home-and-home with the BC Lions starting Saturday at McMahon. Uh, these have to feel like extremely important games for the Stampeders, given where the standings have them after Labor Day. Yeah, they are. They're huge. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, these games felt a lot more daunting uh, after Nathan Rourke came in and, and had that pretty stellar performance at McMahon Stadium in that 41-40 to uh, barn burner. That was a few weeks back. But then Nathan Rourke gets hurt and... You know, the, the Lions go with Pipkin, and they're going with O'Connor, and then they make the trade for Vernon Adams, but he only really gets into a few series. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of question marks around the BC quarterback situation uh, as far as who's going to get more snaps, who is really suited to get more snaps. Is it Pipkin, who's been there longer? Is it Vernon Adams Jr., who's been there a shorter time, but probably has more talent than Antonio Pipkin? Um, it, it's an interesting quandary it's, it's going to be something to keep an eye on because last week they really looked like they were kind of lost and that's a, a bc team with a really good group of receivers so you probably don't want to spoil this season but i don't know I, it's an interesting challenge for the defense for sure for the offense i think it's just chip it away you know you scored 40 points against this team before uh if you can go out and do that and you feel like your defense can um you know hold up against the lions offense not run by Nathan Roark, you should be in fine shape to win both these games, take over second in the division, and, and really not look back for the rest of the year and be able to play the Rough Riders a couple times, those two Eastern opponent games, and, and move on and move into the playoffs, the home playoff date. It's going to be hard, um, near, nearly impossible to take over first. Something catastrophic would happen to the Blue Bomb would have to, have to happen to the Blue Bombers, but still, this home-and-home home has a lot of intrigue for the Stampeders, and second in the West seems firmly um, theirs to lose, I would say. I was going to say up for grabs, but I'm going to go with theirs to lose. Yeah, it's interesting, too, you know, looking back at that last game at McMahon, the 41-40 final back on August 13th, and I, I'm looking ahead to Saturday, and I'm wondering how much, I guess, defensively for both teams, you're going to say that there's probably something that you can take from that game into this one on Saturday, Matt. But, I mean, really the quarterback situation for both teams now is going to be dramatically different than it was a month ago. This will be our first chance to see Jake Mayer get a chance at the BC Lions. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned, obviously, Nathan Rourke not going to be back for the Lions for this one. So a lot of it's going to be the same, but it's also going to be pretty dramatically different than when these teams met a month ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think if you're BC, you're feeling maybe a little bit better about what is going to get thrown at you to the extent that, you know, it has been Jake Mayer the last few games here getting the start. You got that film on him, especially with this group of receivers. You understand that Reggie Bagleton is a big, big weapon, as is Kadeem Carey. And they've got some other guys in the offense that can certainly make plays, but you really kind of looking at those two guys to key on maybe Malik Henry as well on the outside for sure. Um, and then with BC, their offense, like I just mentioned, it's, it's kind of like a slap together quarterback room right now. And you don't really know what you're going to get. And maybe if the defense, okay, you, you settle on the fact you're going to get Antonio Pipkins, that's fine. Well, then what if you go out and you show really well and all of a sudden there's a change to Vernie. So I think you have to be prepared for both. Um, now, the one thing I'll say is I do think the Stampeders' defense over the season has continued to improve and kind of 
add in bits as a good team does every single year. Um, but I think about the, the three-man uh, three rush that they threw at Nathan Rourke in the first quarter. It really kind of messed with him, led to the Stampeders opening up an early 20-10 to 10 lead and, and helped them keep that game so close down to the wire that it was. So that's a little bit of an interesting wrinkle there. Um, I don't know. The Stampeders defense has all of its players, and they've got the three-man rush that they know they can go back to. They, they know they've got a four-man rush that is working. Um, the secondary, you know, it'll probably have to change again because Natrell Jamerson hit the sixth game. Uh, but on top of that, I think you're still comfortable with whatever you got in the secondary given um, the quarterback you'll be facing for D.C. Okay, uh, last couple ones for you. Uh, Matt Rose, big show in the morning, and our Stampeders reporter here on Sportsnet 960. A week of practice coming up. You've got a full week in between games. What are we looking for here? I know we've talked for a couple of weeks that Sean McEwen is is working his way back in, and you know, I, I guess we'll kind of wait and see before we declare anything on that. But is, is the secondary really your key area to watch this week of practice to see how the Stamps line up and are kind of getting set to take on BC? Yeah, it it really has been all season long. Um, you know, this was a week that I don't think the Stampeders actually did suffer any key injuries. You know, it was Kamar Jordan and Mitchell Jamerson the week before. They were put on the sixth game ahead of this most recent game against Edmonton. Um, but apart from that, and granted, watching on TV so you don't get the best idea, and, and Dave Dickinson was kind of coy with a very loose rundown that they had yesterday as far as injuries go. But it sounds like they came away from that pretty healthy so I think the question will be how much more Brandon Dozier do we see in the defense is someone like a Javian Elliott going to be healthy to join in and and maybe kind of create a wrinkle like the one thing I'll say is that if there's a change to the secondary this week it's probably good because it means that you're getting someone back but that's just uh, kind of an early thought you never really know until you get a, a couple days into practice here this week and, and and get an idea of who's in it who's out there Maddie, appreciate the time as always, pal. We'll look forward to uh, some of your stamp support throughout the week and uh, getting set for Saturday, Lions and the Stampeders. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Have a good one. You too. There you go. Matt Rose, host of the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960 and our Calgary Stampeders reporter uh, going through everything that we saw in that big Stampeders win Saturday at Commonwealth Stadium, now set for a huge back-to-back with the BC Lions and Look, the Stampeders haven't been overly dominant the last couple of weeks, but things have worked out pretty well for them, you know, in, in terms of the teams around them in the standings. Uh, obviously, last week, BC didn't play. Uh, this week, they played against Montreal, got handed to them pretty good on Friday. The Blue Bombers took care of business twice against the Riders. That's very helpful if you're the Calgary Stampeders. And now, you really get a chance to determine your own fate if you're Dave Dickinson and the Stamps. Uh, you can pretty much, in my mind, wipe off a lot of what you saw at McMahon a month ago uh, when Nathan Rourke and Bully Levi Mitchell went back and forth in that really um, you know, high-scoring affair because I think you're talking about a completely different set of circumstances. I do not know who's going to start for BC this week, something that uh, I, I think we'll, we'll touch on later on in the week and get a feel for from someone out in BC covering the team. Uh, Antonio Pipkin did not look like he was ready for the starting job uh, in that loss to Montreal. But Vernon Adams hasn't been around the group very much. Is it fair to ask him to come in and start against the Stampeders at McMahon Stadium on Saturday night in such a crucial game 
I don't know. And from a Stamps per, you know, perspective, Jake Mayer hasn't played against the BC Lions this year. So a lot of what you did or maybe didn't do last time, <clears throat> excuse me, against the Lions, I don't know, hard to uh, hard for me to feel like any of that carries over when you've got a different starting quarterback. So we'll see. Good news for the Stampeders. Uh, Reggie Bagleton and Malik Henry have been on fire Kadeem Carey continues, in my mind, to be the best running back in the CFL this season. Uh, They're going to be at full power offensively to take on a very good Lions team, and they're going to need it because you've got a chance now. You've gained a little separation from the Riders. Can you possibly pick up that same separation in back-to-back games against the Lions? You heard Maddie say it there. It would be pretty catastrophic at this point to, you know, even think about picking up first in the West against the Bombers. That's okay. You don't have to win the West. The Bombers have been the best team in the CFL this year. But can you put yourself in a good position after these BC games to set up a home playoff date in McMahon in the Western semifinal? I I think the Stamps are absolutely looking that dead in the eyes right now. Uh, In my mind, the schedule favors the Stampeders down the stretch. If you can pick up wins against BC, uh, you've got Toronto who leads. uh, You know, look, I'm not going to say they're walkovers but they lead a pretty weak east division Uh, you've got hamilton who's been a tire fire this entire year i have no idea what's going on with them and then you've got the riders in back-to-back games to finish off the season well those games may or may not mean a lot to you or the riders based on how the standings work out ahead of that ahead of you if you're the stamps so we'll see it's a really interesting schedule for them obviously two western division revivals you have to see back to back uh, down the